Welcome to Broken Law, brought to you by the American Constitution Society. I'm Jeannie Hureska, Senior Advisor for Communications and Strategy at ACS. A reminder that ACS is a 501c3 nonprofit, nonpartisan organization. We don't endorse candidates or parties. Views expressed by our guests on the show are solely those of our guests and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of ACS. Inclusion of these and other viewpoints are intended to educate our listeners on the issues and do not reflect ACS endorsement. Today is such a treat that I'm going to jump straight to our guest, who is an award-winning actor and a political activist, particularly in his home state of Wisconsin. You may know him from The Handmaid's Tale or Get Out, but for me, he will forever be Josh Lyman from The West Wing. I am speaking, of course, of the one and only Bradley Whitford. Bradley, welcome to Broken Law. It's great to be here, Jean. Well, before folks think that I accosted you on the sidewalk for this interview, I do just want to note at the top, you've known Russ Feingold, president of ACS, for for many years. Many, 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 many years. Russ, uh, I was involved in his campaigns. I was a big supporter of Russ, who to me embodied the best of the great Wisconsin progressive tradition. It's an extraordinary time, and I think a lot of us right at this moment, we can't believe that we're dealing with something that in a sane society would have ended many, many times, but certainly on January 6th, and that apologists for that travesty that their positions of power have not only been enhanced, but that civic pollution extends directly to the Supreme Court. So while they seem incentivized to become more and more extreme, we have a sense of confidence because they're just narrowing down on this base, you know, uh, which seems to be you know, an explanation for those incentives, which makes me feel like we're making progress as as we have been making progress in places like Michigan and in places like Wisconsin. But it's uh, terrifying. I, I have not seen this anti-democratic, hateful inversion of any acceptable values of any religious tradition, I have not seen it ebb. And, you know, that's, it's absolutely terrifying. Yeah, we've increasingly started talking about authoritarianism, that you're not even dealing with different factions or different groups who have different notions of democracy or or different policies. You're dealing with folks who believe in democracy, and there's this growing faction that doesn't believe in democracy and is not wed to us remaining one. And that's a whole other ballgame. I think in trying to understand them, and this is not my original thought, but they feel like they're in a war against, I don't know, lesbian Marxism and... When you're in a war, you you don't negotiate till the war is over. From my peculiar position as an activist who makes his living um, in the world of culture, 
I think one of the reasons we have what is in fact minority, you know, you don't have to be a fascist if most people agree with you. So fascism is going to be the tyranny of the minority. And the reason that we have that, I still believe, and it seems pretty obvious that if you look at any issue, whether it is climate, healthcare, guns, the majority of us agree on, on, on that. Uh, even people we think we don't agree with do not want, I'm thinking of conservative friends of mine who are uh, Catholic and anti-choice. They do not think that a 13-year-old rape victim should be forced to carry their uncle's child to term. But the reason that we have this minority rule, I believe, is because the right understands what I believe the truth is. The right understands that politics is the way you create your moral vision. We tend to think that it is what I do that it's culture. But the West Wing won't help you if you have a pre-existing condition. We have to pass a law. The Handmaid's Tale is a big hit. I will say the West Wing gets me through a lot of very tough times. Well, it's, yeah, it's progressive porn. It's it's very... (laughs) Increasingly so, as it becomes further, it becomes more and more fantastical. It's very reassuring. But my frustration has been, and I think you need both. You absolutely need both. But the right to me is, and Clarence Thomas is exhibit A, the right is basically pursuing a business agenda that is fueled by culture wars. So for the right, politics is not an extracurricular. On the gun issue, they don't need to be summoned to action by a heartbreaking school tragedy. It's part of their business world. They are in every meeting. They are incentivized to constantly, you know, we have seen... Many on video, many innocent African-Americans shot in the back by policemen. It took that video to summon us to the diagnosis, which is what the march is, which is enough and it's absolutely necessary. But I worry because of what I have seen happen in Wisconsin, that the right is more willing to participate in the political process. In terms of voter suppression and gerrymandering, what we may see receive from the Supreme Court coming forward, this there's not a level playing field right now. It's not a level. It is absolutely not a level playing field. And what? And I forget the woman's name, but a big wig in the. Re- Republican Party in Wisconsin was saying, we got to make it harder for these kids to vote. It's it's not an equal playing ground. Also, you know, our whole society favors the power of homeowners. Yeah. And of wealth. Of wealth. But one of the advantages to home owning is you're generally pretty sure 
of your voting status. And the Republicans clearly see making it more difficult for young people who are understandably confused. You know, I, I grew up in Oshkosh. I'm going to, you know, where am I registered? There's a lot of groups who are aware of that. I'm from Madison, born in, in Dane County at the UW Hospital. I mean, we moved away for a little bit, but then I went to high school in Madison. I I am from a progressive utopia. Like, I weep when I see that, you know, 98% of Dane County showed up for the Protosawitz election. The Wisconsin Dems nationalized. It's unprecedented. A state Supreme Court election. And, you know, we had to because we've just been seeding this ground because progressives who feel like I do, we're waiting for Barack Obama so we can fall in love. And then, you know, we're, we're terrible about that because progressives you know, we need to fall in love. I want to talk about the race that you just mentioned, because yeah. that is a really the Wisconsin Supreme Court race was one that we did a lot of education around trying yeah. to get folks to pay attention to it. And I think generally speaking, whether you vote or not, you understand the impact of a presidential election, of a Senate election, of a, gu- of a gubernatorial election. I still think we're trying to get to that same level of understanding when it comes to the importance of judicial races. Yes. And one of, one of our number one st- sayings at ACS is courts matter. We're constantly trying to get people to understand that courts matter. Yes. What motivated you to get involved in that race? Why was that race so important to you? Because it's where I'm from, because my, my dad was very involved in Planned Parenthood when I was in high school in Wisconsin. My mom was League of Women Voters. I was raised in a Quaker family where the whole point is putting your values into action. And I love Wisconsin. I'm very proud of Wisconsin. And I always tell people that Wisconsin, it's not just a mathematical swing state. It is the ideological swing state because The entire progressive, there was a thing called the Wisconsin idea, the entire progressive, the entire New Deal came out of programs that Bob LaFollette started. You know, in Wisconsin, they had things that we take for granted. In 1915, they had unemployment insurance. So that is why Carl Rove and the Koch brothers targeted it. I was there. And I saw it. And basically what they said was Carl Rove said to the Koch brothers for Wisconsin and other places, you don't have to give me that much money for you. I think it was out of $60 million, you know, and I'll, I'll flip all these state houses. And it's because it was ground that, that we as progressives seeded because we're waiting to fall in love. While they're, you know, kind of pressing that issue, one of the legacies of that is the horrible gerrymandering that is, uh, you know, in a state that Biden won, they basically 
have super majorities, which end up having incredible consequences. You know, we were very Wisconsin. If you if if you subjected yourself to the Donald Trump rally that CNN held, he talks a lot about Wisconsin because they are very close. If the Wisconsin Supreme Court, if which was conservative and is a little less conservative now, if they had voted with Trump, we would have had a real constitutional crisis on our hands. It's one of the points we bring up generally is that courts, we've already had the Supreme Court decide an election back in 2000. And given how litigious every election cycle is becoming, it is conceivable that we will have an election decided by a court again. And most likely it would be a state Supreme Court. Yes. And I think it's, look, let's be honest, it's very confusing for people. I think if you pull people over, they go, are they appointed? Are they, Yeah. they run, but they're not partisan. But in Wisconsin, it's very confusing, understandably confusing for people. Nobody has any idea. I live in California. I'm a blabbermouth about politics. I have no idea what's going on in the Supreme Court in California. Yeah. I mean, it changed its state to, to state. And yeah. it's not at all clear the way that, like, your senator is directly elected. You know this. Look, if there is any silver lining in mm-hmm. the hell that we have gone through, the civic virus that is still attacking our democracy. It is that I think people are aware of things, more aware of the consequences of certainly the Supreme Court and state courts. And people always ask me, are you optimistic? And I am telling you, I am so inspired by the young people in Wisconsin who continue to show up, who have, who understand that despair is luxury, that their future cannot afford, and that the whole promise of this country is that our futures are the act of our imaginations. And if there is a silver lining, I, I mean, I can't believe it. It takes a monster like. Donald Trump uh, or like Dobbs. I think the Dobbs decision has got folks more tuned to courts. Again, like you have to look for the silver lining. You have to look for kind of the hidden meaning and the public's confidence in the Supreme court is plummeting polling at poll after poll shows this, but in order to lose confidence in the court, you also have to be paying attention to the court. And I think one of the odd realities from all of these disastrous decisions coming down is people are paying attention because they're seeing the impact on their day-to-day lives. Yeah, I do really feel that that silver lining of engagement, I see it in the gun issue. I see it in voting rights. I see it in the choice issue. And I am encouraged by something that I feel that Democrats should have been doing 
for decades, which is reframing who is the champion of freedom. And we're not free when we live in a culture where over 10 times the number of people killed on 9-11 are killed in totally preventable gun war. Or with a maternal mortality rate that we have. I mean, we're, we're, we perform so poorly and so many basic freedom indicators. Yeah, we're not free when we don't have access to health care. And I am, you know, I, I, I'm always worried that I, I have seen the opposite of my fear, which is the, the young people completely losing faith in the face of a rise of fascism. I see them standing up to it. And I think that part of the, the, the reason the fascists are so worried or incentivized to do these dangerous things is because they kind of know that young people aren't going to put up with this. You're listening to Broken Law, brought to you by the American Constitution Society. ACS is a 501c3 nonprofit, nonpartisan organization committed to protecting our democratic legitimacy and supporting laws and legal systems that improve the lives of all people. If you're enjoying Broken Law, consider becoming a member of ACS today. You do not need to be a lawyer to be a member. Our laws and legal systems impact all of us. By joining ACS, you support Broken Law, our work to diversify the federal bench, our advocacy in support of Supreme Court reform, and truth, racial healing, and transformation and so much more. You also become a member of our nationwide network, which includes over 250 student and lawyer chapters. Join ACS and the progressive legal movement today by visiting our website at acslaw.org backslash membership. And now back to the conversation. Can I ask you, you've had the experience of having done West Wing, which still gets referenced as like, especially for progressives, that it is their happy place, certainly for mine. One of my fascinations is I there is a very close relationship between celebrity and politics. Mm-hmm. Right? You sometimes you can cross over. There's definitely been people who have crossed that divide. What do you think of as the role of artists in the struggle that you're talking about, in this struggle between democracy and authoritarianism? Where do artists fit in in that struggle? Well, I think there's a pretentious profound, dangerous thing, and I think Republicans sort of embrace this. The most dangerous dynamics in our world is this toxic myth of separateness. And you can see it very clear, you know, they're like, oh, we're the Americans, you know, my trans nephew is any less of an American than anybody else. You see it in those obvious ways, but any storytelling any connection with an audience is an act of, of the obliteration of the myth of separateness. So that in a sort of non-political thing is really important. I think in terms of specific political issues, I think that we, in our storytelling, we can put human experience and the experience of the heart into issues that are talked about abstractly. I think I have realized as I get older and older and feel the necessity to be even more engaged politically, 
I want to use my specific forum, which is very, you know, I was, by the way, I was wearing makeup and, you know, I didn't improvise it. It was an Aaron Sorkin show, but apparently. You weren't uh, deputy chief of staff? No. You're certain, you're certain of that? Well, I, 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 I'll, I'll get, I'll get back to something, but (laughs) I think my specific role that I see is I can bring attention to not how important what I do is, but how important the consequences of what politicians do and how engaged we have to be and how we can affect that with long-term pressure and that we are up against eternal foes of greed, the myth of separation, racism, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to go away. It's always so funny to me that like, you know, even a, a sophisticated political analyst will admit that the most important thing is, uh, do they seem presidential? You know, yeah. uh, now apparently I seem like I used to work in the white house. Martin Sheen, I love with all of my heart. Apparently, he seemed presidential. He'd be the first. I have a coffee cup that says Bartlett for president. Yes, of course. You know, up until Trump was president. By the way, by the way, my when I first went to New York, I went to college and then I went to Schmachting School at Juilliard, and it was like one of my first days in New York ever. And I hear the swearing. I was in the first year, four years of acting school. I told my dad, think of it as med school with guaranteed unemployment at the end. <laughs> um, and the fourth year guys are kicking the lockers and swearing. And it was because they had spent the summer working for this real estate guy who had never paid them. And they had confronted him. And he said, what are you going to do? Sue me? You're fucking actors. And it was Donald Trump. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Oh, that almost hurts to hear now. By the way, as someone who is acutely aware of the discomfort, like, I feel like, I don't think it's particularly helpful for somebody who has a horseshoe hanging out of their ass because of their success at an extracurricular activity in Hollywood to go and say to people, this is what you should think. But I, I think that there are things that I can do in terms of voter registration, awareness. I'm always very conscious of not wanting, uh, you know, and my involvement in this is, uh, it's, it's really as a parent. I mean, people always say, well, was it West Wing? So you think you like, like you should like talk about politics? No, it's because I was having kids. And uh, I felt is that like, what got you into politics is becoming a father. Yeah. And it was, I, look, I, it was simultaneous to, you know, being on this television show where all of a sudden you're meeting presidents. We're in the Bush white, we shot in the Bush white house. We people uh, think that you're the, the character you're playing. So they come up to you and start asking you political questions. Oh, I, 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 this is a true story. I was in the Capitol. We'd been shooting outside the Capitol and a line of people sort of formed in front of me. And this was pre cell phone cameras and they all had pieces of paper in their hand. And I thought they wanted autographs and they were lobbyists. Oh, there, there was a reality check. 
you know, this is early 2000s. So we were worried about sound bites then uh, when everybody was watching the news at night that it was reduced to a sound bite. And on the West Wing, we could do an entire hour where you would learn both sides about the argument about the decennial census. You had to get Rob Lowe laid in the course of it. But people very quickly realized that we could get people to, you know, sort of think about an issue mm-hmm. that was well, and that's so. still true, right? Is that part of the value that celebrity brings to politics is to raise awareness. You have an audience. What's so funny to me is I've spent my whole life, like, you know, the right is always like, you know, these celebrities. And you know, I was always like, you know what Bill O'Reilly is? He's a self-appointed celebrity. That's what I don't understand because I have stood yeah. next to Russ Feingold, people running for uh, the presidency, and they have always been understandably concerned that they Mm -hmm. would say something that was condescending or something that might be perceived as as condescending. I love my tribe, my, my actors, and I am very proud in the way that they speak out so many of them, because unlike the Koch brothers, unlike the oil industry, celebrities aren't, I'm not going out there going, you should cut my taxes or you should make it easier for me. I'm inspired by a lot of people who, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, by certainly Martin over the years, we're not advocating for our self-interest. If you're worried about people interfering in the political process, we need to deal with what Ross was very involved with, getting money out of politics and getting money out of the Supreme Court. Man, Roberts has just absolutely destroyed this court. Well, not single-handedly. He's had some help. Yeah. The court was packed and he didn't have a role in that. To me, when we talk about the the Supreme Court, we look at Senator McConnell and the Trump administration stealing Scalia's seat. Yes. And then jamming Justice Amy Coney Barrett through yeah, the Yeah, they stole end. it. Yeah. And to me, one of the, I really appreciate when I hear you talk about that, the theft of the Supreme Court, because again, it's not a complicated message. This court has been packed, but that is a narrative that we are still trying to land. No, if anything, their messaging is that we are trying to pack the court after they have packed it. Yeah. It's sufficiently packed in their mind. You don't need to pack it anymore. It's just right for them. The court is doing exactly what it was packed to do. Do you think there are going to be any consequences for Clarence Thomas? Or does that imply a capacity for shame? Well, I think that what's interesting right now is Congress, for some reason, has taken this oppression in the last 30, 40 years that it must be hands off on the Supreme Court. We have a system of checks and balances. We have three branches that are supposed to be co-equal. Except for them? Exactly. But Congress, no, 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 you can't touch the court. 
when if you actually look at history, that's not at all been the case. Congress has changed the size of the court, changed whether justices need to travel, what their jurisdiction is. So Congress absolutely not only has a role to play, but must play that role in checking this court. And so to me, the question with the ethics scandal going on right now is, will this finally be what gets Congress to step up and go, oh, right, part of our job is to check this other branch of government? What worries me is the just tremendous damage that has been done. It was certainly there before, but what we're seeing is this historically familiar lack of shame, lack of good intentions. And, you know, it's the oldest, you use the tools of democracy without shame to undermine it. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a really dangerous time. And it's a, again, the silver lining in this. And what I see in the young people in Wisconsin is, yeah, this is forcing us to realize that we don't get a democracy. You got to make it every damn day. And if you're too cool to participate, then you're sentencing yourself to a, a gulag that is dictated, frankly, by amoral business interests now. And democracy includes objective courts that are bound by the rule of law and vindicate our rights. There has to be that component to it. We need a fair judiciary. Well, I do think the Dobbs decision, you know, I I can tell you every election in Wisconsin is a one-point election. If you talk to uh, Ben Wickler would tell you he was terrified the morning when he woke up. It was a spanking. It was an 11-point victory. And I believe that is because of Dobbs. And that is because the Wisconsin Dems and Janet made it clear that this was part of it. The abortion issue is going to be big. And it's all, again, wrapped in what I think is is the message that progressives need to live in, which is freedom. We don't ban books. You, you will be free if you have access to health care. You will be free, you know, in a community where there is more economic equality, more opportunity. We started talking about that more, that we shouldn't seed that word. You know, Wisconsin has been the place where I saw this happen. Like, that is the consequence of our disengagement. And I I wrestle with this in my family. They're all corrupt. Yeah. It's so easy to be apathetic that way. It's so easy to disengage. By the way, here, I think I've ever told this story. Unintended consequence of the great Russ Feingold legislation with McCain, well-intentioned, you know, finance. Like, we need public financing, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, We live in an entirely different world. I don't know, you know... (laughs) how we get there now. I know who's for it and I know who's against it. And I know the people who are blocking it. So years and years ago, uh, I was working on a show with someone who 
I had worked with Dick Gephardt, who knew Joe Biden, and Joe Biden was thinking of running for president in 2008. And I got to go meet, sit with him and talk with him for a while. He was very impressive, but I was for Hillary then. Mm -hmm. Leading up to that, I really bravely stepped off the Hillary dock onto the Obama rowboat when I realized that <laughs> I became a huge supporter of Obama when I realized that was happening. But I met Biden right before he announced. And then right after the Iowa primary, where Obama won, and I think Biden got 1%. I was in my office at Warner Brothers. It was raining. There was nobody there. And there's a knock on the door, and it was Joe Biden. And he had been meeting somebody else at Warner Brothers, and I'm sure his staffer said, oh, you met with that guy. And the door opens, and it's Joe Biden with, you know, the teeth and the hair. And I have real affection for him. And he's like, hey. And I'm in, like, sweatpants. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, Joe Biden's here. And he immediately says, we didn't get the result we wanted in Iowa, but I hope I can count on your, you know, continued support. And my heart kind of sinks and I, I start sort of walking him. Like I want to get him in the car before he, he has to go through the humiliation of asking me to sign a check, which is, to give, or, you know, which is clearly what he wanted. But as he drove away, I had had this, here's a public servant, not a rich guy, very bright, guy and driving away i'm standing there in the rain i'm thinking this guy has to walk around with his hat in his hand in hollywood which is part of the reason that people become cynical about politics but they have to raise money i had a friend of mine from high school who was running for state office in wisconsin who will remain nameless who called me and said the day he announced and said i'm dirty and i said why? He said, because I'm calling a guy who got lucky in show business because I just came out of a meeting where my finance guy said, if I don't make, I don't know, $30,000 a week, I'm not going to get it. So part of the reason people become cynical about politics is we make them climb. You have this, to win the lottery to win office. Well, it's, and, and we make and them it's climb just getting worse. this filthy rope and then we go, you're, you know, your hands are dirty. And it, you, you know, it's been gradual. The presidential race has always been expensive, but you used to be able to run for state legislature for school board relatively inexpensively. And just, I mean, the price tag just keeps going up for all of these increasingly local races. It, it keeps so many incredible candidates from running. Well, I don't know what the exact number is, but the Supreme Court race in Wisconsin was as yeah, the most expensive as yeah. a Senate race. But look, again, despair is a, is a luxury. Yeah. Our children can't afford. I think sometimes we think that decency should come easy. Never has. Never will. We're always going to be up against it. And I really do feel optimism by what I've seen in Wisconsin what I and what I've seen you know from the young lawmakers you know in the in the wake of the shootings 
I don't see I don't see people disengaging, and that's the only way out of this. There's no magic yeah. bullet. There's nobody we're going to fall in love with who's going to do it all <laughs> because we thought we had that and we weren't thinking about the courts. We weren't thinking about it. In terms of doing the work, can I just ask you about the writer strike and yeah, your thoughts on that? It's it's so frustrating to me. Writers are the most undervalued. You know, there's a couple of writing stars who you know maybe maybe people know mm-hmm. know of, but Aaron Sorkin for one. Writers, you know, perform magic, and the storytelling which is so much is such an important part of of our culture for them to be undervalued is is you know completely crazy and i i saw something that somebody said which is that vince gilligan sat in a room and had this idea for breaking bad that made that network the sopranos made hbo mad men it was part of what made the same network. And these are writers who created this incredible value. What Aaron did, this incredible value. And by the way, Aaron will be the first to tell you, he had other people. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of writers helping him. And when the guy who you know now runs Warner Brothers, two years ago, he made $250 million dollars. This year, I think he's getting by on $45 million. I think the guys at Netflix, uh, you know, we have these CEOs saying that this isn't a viable business while the value of the stocks are, you, you know, are, are... There's not a lack of money. It's just a question of distribution. It's, yes. It's, so I, my entire creative life, I've always said this too. I shouldn't say this. My my agent told me to shut up once, but <laughs> acting talent is common. It's very common. Yeah. It really is. I see it in high school plays. I see I I and don't tell anybody this, but I didn't need to be in get out for it to be a good movie. There were about there was a lot of people who could do it. There's never been a writer who came along and a, and a bunch of actors and we as a culture said, we just don't have the actors who can, who, who can do it. Writing talent needs to be exalted and not diminished. And these guys, literally what they are trying to do is they want to use AI to write a first draft. Yeah, that's uh, I'll, I'll be on that picket line. Well, I appreciate that. And it is as much as it's frustrating that they have to strike at all. It is encouraging to see the number of people who are on the picket line yeah, and the activism that's being done around that. One thing that I wish is they have an advantage. You have a number of different management interests, network, television, streaming, and then you have a number of different interests. You have actors, directors, and writers. We should all be unified. And I know it's complicated. I don't quite know how you do it, but I know the differences between what we do. They have power when they're unified like that. But 
in a strike, the people who are going to suffer the most are the most vulnerable. And don't tell me Netflix isn't making money. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> I am very glad that you are on the picket line. I am so grateful for your activism and you have been more than generous with your time, Bradley. It's My been pleasure. wonderful to speak with you. And I hope you'll come back and see us again at ACS. Anytime. Give my love to Russ. I can't neglect to ask, where can listeners see you next? What's what's coming up? Assuming that the writer's strike ends and that writers are allowed to write again, what's coming up? If Trump wins, I'll see you in the internment camp. I'll be with the theater people. No, no. I, I, I'm doing a thing with Giancarlo Esposito that is not out yet called Parish. There's a Netflix thing that is, I'm not sure is going to be affected by the strike called Madness. And then we have the final year of The Handmaid's Tale. Well, we will be looking forward to all of those again, assuming that they come out. Yes. In the meantime, let's try and keep the country out of Gilead. Well, in the meantime, there's West Wing that we can all fall back on and return to our happy place. Yeah. I mean, we solved the whole Middle East thing in like two episodes. <laughs> and you solved the Supreme Court in one episode. Oh, it yeah. was great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you again. Pleasure. Thank you again to Bradley for joining Broken Law. We are preparing for merits decisions from the U.S. Supreme Court and will be debriefing several of the biggest decisions as they come down, including those on affirmative action, voting rights, and LGBTQ plus rights. So now is a great time to subscribe to Broken Law if you don't already. Make sure to follow us on social media at ACS Law and hashtag Broken Law Podcast. You can also find our episodes and show notes on our website, acslaw.org slash podcast. Together, we'll speak truth to power about the law, whose interests it really serves, and whose it does not. Mm-hmm.